The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. It's time to go to the movies. Brian Lloyd from entertainment.ie is with us and two movies that I want to talk to him about. The first one is the new release by George Clooney and Julia Roberts, Ticket to Paradise. Is a Clooney and Roberts release a big cinematic event now or are they, dare it be said, yesterday's people, Brian? Absolutely not, no. In fact, the actual genre of this film is romantic comedy and the two of them are basically heavyweights in it. So if the two of them are together in a film and it's a romantic comedy, that is absolutely a cinematic event. Um, And to be honest with you as well, I think, you know, rom-com as a genre has kind of been relegated really to streaming. You know, you see like Netflix and Prime Video and even Disney Plus cranking them out nearly every week or every month. So to see a big rom-com in the cinema... With, you know, two absolutely name brand actors, I think is big news, yeah. Okay, and does it justify the big cinema release? What's I think it about? so. Yeah, what's going on in this is it's it's very very standard fare. Uh, George Clooney is, and Julia Roberts are divorced parents of Catelyn Deaver. Um, one's an architect, the other is an art gallery. The daughter has just graduated from college, goes off to Bali on a holiday. On a whim, she decides to marry a local. The parents then descend on Bali, try to talk her out of, but sure enough, they come to discover that maybe the daughter has the right idea about love and they they then start to kind of rekindle their relationship. I mean, you know, it follows a very, very basic pattern in romantic comedies. I think anyone who is a fan of the genre will enjoy this for the kind of the comfort of it and the predictability of it. It's nothing new. It's not reinventing the wheel in any way, shape or form, but it's done in such a very competent way that I think people will appreciate it. Okay, let's hear this clip in which the couple make a plan to stop their daughter, played by Caitlin Lever, get married. Let's talk game plan. As much as this will pain us both, we have to call a truce to make this work. Yes, we have to be in lockstep. No meanness. No arguing. We speak as one. Exactly right. When do we start? Right after we see Lily. Tell her the wedding is off. Bring her home. Well, you know, whenever we say don't to Lily, she just hears do. I say we go in. 100% there for her and always just supportive and loving and that's how we trick her into dumping Mr. Seaweed. It's interesting. I'm thinking about a Trojan horse sort of thing. We make her think we're okay with the wedding and then once we're in, we get her to end it herself. That's literally what I just said. I don't remember anything about a Trojan horse. Okay. Is this what Clooney is best at? Because he has done some really great heavyweight roles in recent years. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, like, Michael Clayton would be the one that I'd immediately go to for him in terms of, you know, his actual range. Um, I think so. I mean, he's, you know, the, the pair of them have such good chemistry together and they have such screen presence and they're so charismatic that, you know, putting them together, I think, has the effect of just doubling it all on screen, you know, like when they're kind of witty, they have that kind of witty sort of Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn banter between them. I think it's really enjoyable. But yeah, I mean, of course, he's done heavier work and so is Julia Roberts as well. I mean, well, I was just about to bring that up because yeah. she is a heavyweight actress as well. Erin Brockovich yeah. in what she won the Oscar for, but she's lots of other roles as well where she has really, really shown herself to be a heavyweight actress. Yeah, of course. And like, this is it. Like, again, they are both, they have both done very heavy you know weighty dramas thrillers psychological stuff they've done it all but they are just as adept at doing that as they are doing these kind of frothy romantic comedies and to be honest you can when you're watching this they are enjoyable to 
see them doing it. They can do it so well. It just comes so naturally and so effortlessly to them. Um, and that's really it. I mean, like, you're not expecting a whole lot from this and it's very, very enjoyable. Um, it's Funnily enough, it's exactly the kind of film if you were going on holidays and you'd watch it on a plane, you'd enjoy it, get off the plane and then never think about it again. And I think that's, you know, I mean that's probably well how most people will digest this, I guess, because you know, like the what are they, they've knocked they've, it's been knocked back a week in London in the UK because of the Queen, and over here, I suppose, you know, people turn out for it great. But I mean, the way cinemas have been going at the minute, I wouldn't be too wouldn't be too confident about that now. To be but honest, sorry, it, it is it is going to be available here in Ireland. Has yeah, been delayed yeah. release is it because of the Queen's burial on Monday? No. But what do you mean? Are cinemas struggling at the moment to get people in? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, okay, fine. We had National Cinema Day there earlier, uh, earlier on in the month, and that obviously jump started all the um, jump started all the audience figures or whatever. But yeah, generally speaking, I think audience kind of attendance has been a little bit kind of spongy of late. You know, you've got Don't Worry, Darren. Michael Flatley not get them in. Fifty grand apparently is all it made, which is pretty paltry in the Irish uh, film and in the Irish film uh, market. That is pretty pretty paltry, um, and like you know, I can't even imagine it even got a second week in some cinemas as well. In fairness, so presumably the Martin McDonough movie when it arrives is going to be a sort of an Irish cinema event. It would, but not as much as you think. Like I don't know necessarily if it's the kind of film that's going to drag people out to cinemas in the way that In Bruges or The Guard might have. You know, because it does look quite weighty quite kind of dark almost kind of like a waiting for Godot a Beckettian kind of thing and I don't know if that's going to necessarily drag people out to the cinemas having said that I have every confidence that it's going to be brilliant like I mean Colin Farrell won the Volpe Cup at the uh, Venice Film Festival that's pretty much putting him right in the middle um, of the Oscar race for best actor and I'd nearly assume Brendan Gleeson is going to be in there as well so yeah I mean it will be an Irish it definitely will be an Irish event for uh, cinema goers, but will it be enough to kind of do the business that it wants to, or you know, the same business as the guard or in Bruges? I don't know. And does does the cinema industry need another sort of James Bond movie type release? It needs another Top Gun Maverick coming like that. No, to- it Top needs Gun yeah, Top Gun, Ma- yeah. Top Gun Maverick made silly money. Well, I mean, I say silly money. It made one, t- I think it's at somewhere around one and a half billion at the minute. And sorry, worldwide, not world, oh yeah, worldwide. Oh god, yeah, of course, yeah, um, one point five billion worldwide, and that is far and away the biggest film of the year, and there won't be anything coming close to it this year. Like, I mean, Black Adam, that one with Dwayne Johnson, that's definitely not going to get anything close to that. Don't worry, darling. I mean, already it's got pretty poor reviews, and people are, you know, I don't know if it's going to do quite as well as people think it will do. It'll do a big opening weekend, but the second weekend when the word of mouth kicks in people are going to stay away um, you know you've got Babylon as well the, Dame, the new Damon Giselle uh, one he, he's the guy that did La La Land the trailer for that was uh, was announced uh, earlier this week again I don't know if that's going to get people into the audience like there's no big there's no big release coming down the line All right. that I think will kind of do the same business as Top Gun Maverick I think okay let's talk about Moon Age, Moon Age Daydream this is a David Bowie documentary, yeah, uh, which sounds like it's something entirely different. Tell it us, it is. This is, and I really have to. I think this is fantastic. I think this is probably one of the best music documentaries I've ever seen. Full stop. Um, 
it's incredible. I've never seen a documentary like this. Well, no, I tell a lie. The director, Brett Morgan, did a documentary a couple of years back called Montage of Heck, which is about uh, Kurt Cobain and Nirvana. And what's interesting about Moon Age Daydream, and it's similar to Montage of Heck, is, is that it's not the standard uh, format for a music documentary. It uses all archive footage. There are no talking head interviews. Any of the interviews, any of the voices that you hear in the documentary are of the person itself. So in the case of this, it's David Bowie. And David Bowie, as we know, like he was the guy who... He lived for reinvention. He was constantly reinventing himself. But also, as well as the fact that, you know, I don't know if there are many musicians or even just artists in general, whether it's actors, directors, whatever, that have been so forthright in their process and so forthright in trying to explain themselves to journalists and the outer world as David Bowie has been. And throughout this documentary, it's really interesting because... You know, it'll start off and it'll be him in the 70s and his kind of, you know, Spiders from Mars, Ziggy Stardust era, talking about how he's kind of trying to subvert everyone and doesn't really care about gender and he's all about androgyny and all this kind of stuff. And then in the same scene, it will be, you'll hear his voice 20 years later talking about that time period when he was saying, you know, oh, I wasn't really sure what was going on. I was just kind of setting out to kind of shock people and I didn't really have much forethought about it. And then, you know, it'll go forward to his sort of his commercial area, you know, Let's Dance Tonight when he was doing the Pepsi ads with Tina Turner. And in that moment, he's kind of talking about how, you know, purity, poverty doesn't mean purity for artists. And then again, it'll jump forward to his voice, you know, in 2010 or whatever, talking about how, you know, he kind of took the money and he slowed down a bit and he just wanted to make simple music for everyone. And then kind of charts that in with, you know, his own kind of mental space. The fact that, you know, during the 80s or whatever, um, you know, he had come out of a a long period of isolation and paranoia and he wanted to be around people again. But in the 80s, as it were, he was just like, no, 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 I just want to make pop music and that's it. Whereas, you know, he has that kind of uh, the hindsight or whatever to discuss it. But then again, visually, visually, yeah. what's this like? It's like it's like an art film. It's honestly like an art film because the way it kind of intercuts, you know, his own his own kind of interviews and then music from his concerts and then from his films, like you know, just clips from "Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence" and "Labyrinth" kind of laced in with the hunger, and then you know, it has all these kind of visual, these kind of like almost Warhol sort of. Um, vignettes and montages and everything it's really really over the top and then you've got all like all these like black and white films and you'll see kind of clips from 2001 so it's really kind of like an art film like an art installation but with so, so David Bowie suggest, going through it does this suggest this is something that anyone will enjoy you don't have to be a Bowie fan to like this I think I think if you have an appreciation of Bowie I think you'll enjoy it I mean no it's definitely not for you know the Friday night crowd that just want to go in and enjoy a film and get a get dinner afterwards I do think you kind of have to go in with this with an open mind you have to kind of approach it from a sense of this is a very very in-depth examination of an artist. And Bowie had uh, agreed to it, hadn't he, prior to his death? I believe so, yeah, I believe so. And I mean, that has access to a lot of interviews and a lot of footage that I think is of a very sort of personal nature. Like, there might have been his own kind of family archive footage or whatever. But uh, I think he'd love it. I mean, this is the thing. As I was watching it, I was like, I bet he'd absolutely love this because it doesn't necessarily conform to any one particular 
idea of you have of a music documentary, you know, that sort of way. Because like music documentaries, okay. they're so kind of formal, whereas this is very, very, very experimental. Let's hear a little bit. This is a clip from DJ, a remix of Bowie's 79 hit featured on the documentary movie. You recommend this, so Brian? Do you? Definitely. I thought this was absolutely incredible. I have not seen a documentary like this. I think even if you have a general kind of awareness of Bowie, I think you'll get something out of this. But be, I mean, be prepared. It is very, very different from any other music documentary you've seen before. But it is absolutely worth watching, and we're watching in the cinema as well because, like, the music, the sound. The um, the visuals of it, it really does require you to see it in the cinema. I think watching it at home or on stream, and I think it's going to be doing a disservice to it. Thank you very much, Brian Lloyd from entertainment.ie for guiding us through the new movie releases this weekend. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today, 